This is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW. Welcome to Dollars and Cents. I'm Elaine Scollin, along with Blair Manton from Sands & Associates. They're experts in helping you get out of debt. Now, this is kind of a time-sensitive segment. You might even hear it again uh, before the tax deadline, but we're talking about tax time, and you've got a list of really good do's and don'ts for tax time. I know that I always, I don't always get it, but I sometimes get excited about getting that Mm -hmm. check back. Uh, And then somebody says, oh, that just means you paid them too much in the first place, Elaine. (laughs) You gave them a loan. (laughs) And then I feel bad about it. It's like, oh, dumb, dumb, dumb. I need to do something better. Regardless, uh, Blair Manton from Sands & Associates, Vancouver Licensed Insolvency Trustee, talking about the six simple do's and don'ts for tax time, which is... Like I say, timely and a good idea, yeah. especially as we're starting that process. It's upon us. And it this is. is really a segment for everybody. Even if you don't have tax debt, this is just some good guidance to keep in mind. Everyone in Canada's got to file a tax return. And exactly. you owe the government money. Um, yeah, we, we can help you. But in general, there's a bunch of things that you should just know for good practice. Good. All right. Well, let's start. Um, the know the filing and payment deadlines. Mm-hmm. Are they not always the same well, no, they're not. They're not. And okay. I'm happy you asked me that. Okay, so, well, I thought they were. That's yeah. why I'm confused again. Well, yeah, so for most people, so for the vast majority of people that are not self-employed, so that who receive a paycheck, a T4 slip, their employer withdraws taxes at source for them, uh, April 30th is the day. So okay. April 30th, you got to have your taxes in um, and you've got to pay any balance owing by that date. So the filing and the payment deadline is actually the same if you're not self-employed. Okay. Now, where it's different um, is if you're self-employed, you get a little bit of extra time. You get until June 15th to file your taxes because self-employed, you got to get a bunch of things organized. The government gives you a little bit of extra slack, um, but as they give it, they take it away because you get extra time, but not for payments. If you're self-employed, you need to make your payment by April 30th, even though your taxes aren't due until June 15th. Oh. Government expects you to estimate what you're owed, and if you send them too much, they will send you a nice refund. Uh, but if you send them too little, they'll ding you with interest charges on what should have been paid. And this is the thing that's always bugged me about uh, dealing with uh, a tax refund or they don't, you don't get to charge them interest. Oh no, it's one-sided. If they owe you money and have owed it to you for a couple of years, let's say. Yeah. Yeah. They yeah. don't pay you interest. You no, and pay it's, them interest. and you know, the interest is not the same as a credit card would be, but it still can be significant. Yeah, so can. right away, if you're, if you're late, if April 30th comes and goes and they don't have their, their check, you know, either in the mail or in their hands, uh, right away, it's a 5% penalty of the amount owing. And that could be just for just a few days late. Um, and after then it's 1% per month. Yeah. And just, just in case you think, oh, I've got a really good case here. I should be able to take this to them. They're reasonable people. Mm-hmm. I should be able to negotiate on the phone and Da, 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 da. It doesn't happen. It doesn't matter what your circumstances are. I learned that from experience yeah. with my mom's estate. Mm. Uh, it, there was no, and I didn't realize that something hadn't been done and this money was owed. And um, they really didn't care that yeah. uh, my mom had passed and that I was responsible for this and that's all there was to it. So uh, they're very inflexible. Yeah, I would say that that's correct. And you know, even if you think, oh my God, there's some problem here, I shouldn't owe this money. What Sierra would say is, 
pay us and then we'll talk about it. Exactly. We can object to it after, but you better get this this balance paid or we're going to start taking some collection activities against you. Exactly. Yeah. So it's w- worth paying attention to. Uh, interest, as you talked about, the interest charges, they can be significant. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's the deal. 5% right now if yeah. you're late. And then 1% on top of that 5%. Is oh, yeah. That how it goes? For every month. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Um, one of the do's, you hear you talk about time, which is interesting. Yeah, so it's depending on the complexity of your situation, but you know, for everybody, this is just set aside enough time to deal with this. You know, it's once a year, it comes every year, you know it's coming, you know you, you need to plan off a little bit of time. Yeah. And for someone who's relatively simple with a single T4, maybe a few charitable donations, things like that, you might be able to be done inside an hour or two. Yeah. Um, if you're self-employed, you got a business, it's a going concern, employees, suppliers, different write-offs, you probably need to start in investing time way back in January, getting things together, um, you know, giving yourself a couple of hours on April 29th, you're not setting yourself up to succeed here at all. Um, So you need to make sure you set off, set aside enough time, but also don't overcomplicate, don't over-engineer things. The amount of clients that I have coming to me um, who have just very basic tax returns, but they still pay somebody $150 each to do their returns. You know, a lot of people, if they're low income, they can do returns for free online. There's various software providers, or if you just go and buy tax software, it'll usually do four or five returns for about $30. Yeah. So there are ways to do it yourself. Um, just plan yourself enough times so that you're not scrambling at the last minute. The other thing too is if if money is an issue for you, I know that there's a lot of community support yeah, for definitely. tax. I have a couple of friends who do that kind of work for folks. And so I know that that's available depending mm-hmm. on where you live or what you can access, but it does exist. Yes, for sure. Yeah, which, is, which I th- thought was pretty terrific that there's mm-hmm. those folks out there willing to help. Um, Forget to file your tax return. I know people who don't file yeah. their tax returns on a regular basis and haven't for years. And now they do, but they mm. went for years and years and didn't. And would you believe that's way worse than actually owing CRA money is being a non-filer? So CRA is okay if you owe them a debt, you know, they'll, again, they'll either work with you or not. Um, but if you haven't filed your taxes from CRA's point of view, you're not fulfilling your end of the whole social contract of being a part of society. It's you the price of civic, um, you know, your civic obligation is essentially to file your taxes every year. So part of it is you have to do so. But the benefit to you also is I have people in my office sometimes that haven't filed taxes, you know, for five or 10 years. And the amount of benefits they're sometimes able to get back just astounds me. Mm. So I had a mother in my office maybe two weeks ago, a single mom with a couple of kids, hadn't filed for a number of years, had been scraping by on what she could earn. The amount of child tax benefit that she's able to get refunded to her was just staggering. It actually dealt with most of her debt problem. Interesting. And she had no idea she was even entitled to child benefit or GST credits or, you know, different things that come from the government. But if you're not filing your taxes every year, they've got no means of sending you this money. Right. That's a really good point. Um, And it's just fear, right? Fear gets in the way for for folks. They just don't want to know. They don't want to deal with it. They don't want to know how bad a situation they're in when, and in this case, like you described, I mean, it turned out really well. Oh, yeah. I think it's fear and it's, you know, complexity. You know, people think it's very difficult. And what if I make a mistake? Um, You know, I have some people that will just, you know, get the forms. They'll handwrite in things. They'll make mistakes. They'll send it off to CRA and CRA will work with it. They they want you to make your best efforts. And again, it's not difficult if you work either with a volunteer or get the software yourself. Not hard to do. Okay, cool. All right. Uh, Tax scams. I swear that we are bombarded with that. Yeah. Uh, Not just me personally, but... But I think we as a society or a province or a community or a city or whatever it is, my gosh, it happens all the time. Mm -hmm. Um, And I love this. If it sounds too good to be true, 
Man, it is. Yeah. It probably is. Yeah, I see a, a ton of, of tax scams come and go o- over the years. And, you know, what's also a big part of it, too, is this fear of missing out. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you, you hear that uh, your neighbor or your friend or a family member has gotten a really big tax refund by doing something a little bit different, and you don't want to be left out. So you sign on, then your brother and your sister and your cousins. I've literally seen entire families um, really get, get audited and then eventually have, you know, massive interest and penalties from taking uh, taking part in a certain tax scam. The most common ones I've seen are um, if you give a donation. So there's an organization that might be set up, probably something that you've never heard about, and you donate them, say, $1,000, and they, through all this, you know, machinery or chicanery or whatever, are able to turn that donation into $10,000, and they give you a receipt for $10,000. But you know you've only donated $1,000, and $1,000 doesn't suddenly become $10,000 because of whatever they can do. Uh, You know, sometimes it's computer equipment or artwork or things like that, but it's all a very opaque process and how they you know, maximize the benefit of your donation. At the end of the day, CRA has disallowed every single time this has ever happened. Um, now they've stopped paying out their refunds, which is a good thing because in the past, they would actually pay out a refund of however many thousands of dollars. And then when they audited you a few years later and disallowed it, you'd owe the refund plus interest plus penalties for several years. Okay. So if it's anything like that, a charitable donation scam, run the other way. These have never succeeded once. And the scam is that they've got your $1,000. Exactly. Right. And they've convinced you that you could get $10,000 refund or yeah. or uh, credit. Yeah, you end it. up out the money you gave to them and with a big tax bill for the refund that you know CRA might have sent to you. Is there something very specific that we can look at on forms or on websites that show it to be a reputable organization? You know how we go on the internet and if there's a, a, a lock, mm-hmm. a secure lock beside the title on the webpage, then we know that that's a secure site. Is there anything like that we can look for with charities? Yeah, there's nothing that, that I know of that's you know incredibly yeah pervasive, you know, one standard um, thing that you'd always know you'd be okay with. But I think if you just look at, are you getting a charitable receipt that's equal to what you donated? then you're probably fine, okay, right? You're, you're not trying to make any upside there. And if your donation was misappropriated, well, you had no knowledge of that. But at the end of the day, you donated 1000 you got a $1,000 receipt. You're got not it. trying to get any extra benefit. Sure, you may have lost that $1,000, but you weren't being accused of trying to defraud the tax department. Yes. Okay, balance owing. Do not ignore that balance owing. Yeah. So of all the people that you'd want to owe money to, the government is definitely at the, the back of that list, at the bottom of that list. Right. Um, because if you owe money to, you know, Visa, MasterCard, the banks, your brother, sister, whatever, for anybody to have any impact upon you to really force you to pay that debt, to start taking your wages or, you know, to register on title to your house if you have one, they've got to go through a very lengthy and costly court proceeding, proceeding first. They've got to serve you with documents. You get the right to show up. You get the right to contest things. The judge is going to be very careful about what they order. When you owe the government money, all that's out the window. So if you don't make arrangements, you know, to deal with CRA according to terms that they find acceptable, they have the right to go straight to your employer, take up to 30% of your wages. Um, If you're a self-employed individual and you have certain clients, they can go straight to your client and say, the money that you owe to the individual who owes taxes, don't pay that to him. You've got to pay that directly to the government, 100% of those monies. Wow. So essentially it chokes off the entrepreneur's source of income. Right. And CRA can do both of those things with no notice to you. Um, They can also register a charge untitled to your house that make sure if when you sell it or if you have to refinance that they get their money. So if you have a balance owing, it's critical that you take some positive steps to deal with it. And one of those positive steps would be to come and see you. Absolutely. Right. Because I know that as a licensed insolvency trustee, you have the ability to uh, help the help the person who's walked in the door yeah. deal with a government debt. 
of yeah, government we are, agency debt. We're often the only people that have, exactly. have that ability, that, that solution. Yeah. So, you know, right off the top, if it's a debt that you're able to pay, if you got a house worth a million dollars with no mortgage and you owe $10,000 in taxes, nobody can really help you reduce that debt. But most people I see, it's an entrepreneur who got a hit with a massive tax assessment, or it's a family who maybe the dad or mom's been working two jobs to try to make ends meet, and they got hit with a big tax assessment because not enough was taken off at source. Right. In those cases, almost every time we can do a consumer proposal, yeah. stops all the interest, stops all the collection activities, and gives you time to pay off the reduced balance. Often we can reduce tax debt down to 30 cents on the dollar. Excellent. And if consumer proposal is a term you haven't heard before, we talk about it a great deal on this show, all the mm-hmm. different avenues, how to do it, how to access it, the benefits of it. and Just keep listening. You'll yeah, hear it. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Or you can check the website because I know right. you've got lots of good, good information on the website, lots of great resources. If you're not ready to make that phone call or you don't think you're in that particular of a pickle, but that you need some help, their website's great. It's sans-trustee.com. And then if you, after after reading it, you go, okay, I think I need more help than this. Free consultation, very easy to get. The number is 1-800-661-3030. You can book that free cons- consultation and find an office near you. We'll be back with more right after this. Welcome to Dollars and Cents. I'm Elaine Scollin, along with Blair Manton from Sands & Associates. They're experts in helping you get out of debt. We've got Dave Jones on the line with us. He's Chief Constable of the New Westminster Police Department and has been since 2011. Has a very long and varied career uh, with the uh, police department, which is terrific. So he's got such a great base of knowledge and experience and information for us. We're calling this segment Tales from the Beat, examples of financial scams over the years. Dave, we're so happy and grateful that you can join us. I'm, I'm glad I can join you as well. That's great. So, so much good information um, that we want to give the listener uh, about financial scams, which seem to be growing in numbers in terms of what what is it trying to get at us these days, whether it be on the phone or via email. But there's a whole bunch of other areas, too, that we should pay attention to, which I uh, I think is really important. Yes, you're quite correct with that, that there is, uh, you know, quite the, I would say there's no limit as to what people will try these days in terms of separating you from your, from your own money. Yeah, Dave, I wonder if we can talk through a, a couple examples, if the listeners will find it really interesting, if we can say, you know, here's a few of the types of scams that we've seen. I know in my job as a licensed insolvency trustee, I've seen, you know, various different types, whether it's a rental or romantic scam, you know, a debt relief scam quite often. Uh, what's something that you're seeing day to day that people are falling victim to? So yeah, the most thanks. The most recent one, of course, and we touched a bit on it before, was like the uh, Canadian Revenue mm-hmm. scam about owing money. Um, another one that is big, and we just we've seen really growing is the uh, romance, the dating scams. It's almost yeah. you know, and you've got to be very cautious about you know introducing or finding somebody online, and then never meeting the person who's suddenly you know asking you for funds to send to them. Um, an unfortunate one recently for us saw up to $70,000 in funds being transferred for somebody from wow. one individual to somebody who they had never met. Yeah, and, ju- and just pausing there. So to have $70,000 of funds to transfer, this was not someone who didn't have a net worth. This was someone who obviously had built up some financial resources. And that's what kind of shocked me um, in my in my work, Dave, is these were sophisticated individuals that were just taken advantage of by a very long-term kind of slow-moving con. Mm-hmm. Right. 
and you know the the thing is too is that I, I'm not certain that every time when somebody's trying to con someone they know exactly how much they have, but when they get into people unfortunately who are trusting offer up personal information that just seems to come out and have the ability to either access lines of credit or have actual funds sitting in somewhere. And, you know, and quite often it touches upon, you know, our, our more elderly population um, in, you know, in the communities here. Um, another one we saw, which is almost really unique uh, recently, was there's been one that touched upon, which I call it as a a video spying. It's almost an extortion. Mm. And what, what it has been said is, is that, there's emails going around that say we have video of you doing something inappropriate. Oh and man! And if you if you don't pay us, then we will release this video out into you know into the cyberspace and we'll go after you. In fact, that hit one of the city employees recently, who mm. you know quite right and rightly came to us and said, "What about this?" Right. So of course. I hate to say it. Our first question is, <laughs> "Well, did you <laughs> did you do this type of behaviors that are described here?" Right? Yeah. You, know, that, you need to be honest with us, which they clearly hadn't. And then, of course, but it's that fear, right? Because yeah. people people start thinking, "Well, you know, does my laptop has mm. someone hacked my laptop camera or video, and do they have this on me?" Uh, in terms of it, so that's one. Another one uh, that's constantly makes the round. I call is the lost relative or the grandchild in jail. Oh right, I've seen um, this one. Yeah, yeah. There's, a, there's a crisis, right? That's right. Yeah. It's, you know, it's the it's the uh, you know, please don't tell my you know, please don't tell you know, hey, hi, grandma. It's so and so, and and the issue comes is that there's so much information that people post into different social media sites that it doesn't take isn't hard to sometimes figure out the name of a grandchild and the grandparent to actually, you know, be able to pull it on somebody and, and be a bit more personal. And, you know, when they don't tell mom and dad, but I need money to get out of jail and you need to send the money to me, right, and at this, you know, and this, of course I always say the suspicious thing is it's a wire transfer to another wire transfer. You know, it's not you need to send money to the police department or the justice mm. center. You need to send money to this wire transfer place. Um we see, you know, and picking on some of the more, I say, you know, unique ones at times is, um, you know, other than the lost relative, we see the phishing in terms of it, like online, using these government sites. And yeah, so the, can you describe the, the phishing? So that's you receive an email, it yeah. looks legitimate, but, yeah. you know, someone is essentially taking over the identity. And if you click through it, you're not clicking through to who you think. <laughs> that's right. So the phishing ones are somebody who gets access to email lists and then starts or just randomly starts firing out emails. And we used to see these, we would call them the, the oil scams in the past. You know, I've inherited, I have all this money, mm. I'm in a foreign country, and I need your help to get the money out of the country type thing. And so those continue. And although, you know, that story gets told, that is now changed. And people are now saying, well, I'm with this company, you owe us money, um, or something's changed. Um, I use an example, and I would say is that, you know, uh, a television provider type company the other day even emailed myself and the police department saying, you need to go online and update your account because mm. you're behind in arrears. And that was sent to my work email. Again. <laughs> and I don't think the mayor wants to know that I've got satellite TV in my office type thing, right? So not having it was easy for me to say, I don't have anything at this email. like this, So I could see it's a scam. But it looks really legit. It's right. using the company's brand, the company's logo, and that. And those are the ones that we still see are, are going out there. And of course, uh, you know, other ones that we see and people have to be cautious about, I call it the online either rental bookings and, mm -hmm. uh, you know, we, you can hear those horror stories of like 12 people renting the same suite that nobody, right. that the person never even owned, yes. right? And so 
when you've got this like low vacancy rate and uh, you got people out there looking for a place to live and are happy to find a place that's really reasonable until like I say till six moving trucks show up on the same day and oh, the wow. owner and the owners in the place going this isn't for rent. Exactly. Right? And they've all paid like $2,000 yeah. just to get an opportunity to get in to pay rent for the first time or, yeah. Right. And and it's not just limited here, you know. We were just dealing with one, too, where it's uh, uh, online almost called vacation rentals, right? Yes. And, uh, and, and, and the caution I always use with people is, or we use is that, you know, there are very legitimate companies out there that you, you should, you know, you, that you should feel comfortable using that are well-established and good records as opposed to, and I don't mean to ever knock new startups or people are doing it, but you need to be a bit, lot more diligent in checking them out before you start sending them large sums of money in advance. Um, we just have another one that hit our offices, which is about $10,000 worth of vacation rentals in, in another country, which leaves it very difficult for us mm-hmm. to even conduct an investigation because it, this transaction occurred overseas. Right. You know, how, how we're going to track someone down who doesn't exist in reality, it becomes very challenging. But a, but a caution to that person was, in talking to them was if they had done a little bit of research online, it didn't take much using a search to find that this company, there is lots of conversation in the internet about this company doing this and being involved in this type of behavior. So um, there are ways for people to, to be certain about what they're doing. And, and we've always said, if it sounds too good, then it's probably not real, right? Yeah, absolutely. Now, is there a is there a place, or you know, would you recommend? So, I'm I'm concerned about uh, any of the ones that we talked about. Is there like a set of criteria that you think is really important for people, like one, two, and three, to make sure they do before they sign on or send the money? Yep. Or, yeah, what is so, it? So, the first thing is, if anyone's asking you to send them money, you should stop. Right? You should you should not do it on the basis of them contacting you. You should. Always, if you believe there might be some legitimacy to it, you should look it up yourself. In other words, don't ask for a phone number or contact from them or reply to the email provided. You should look it up yourself. Independent. Okay. Independently. Second of all, depending on whether you feel comfortable with neighbors or family or friends, or if not, call the police department and ask them if they've had issues with this, right? And uh, we do have people who will call in and ask about even today's world, the CRA scam. And we're more than happy to tell them that this is a scam that's going on, right? And for any CRA people who didn't get their money back, um, then they can call us, right, in terms of it. But but we are very, you know, clear. And there are online centers, like the Canadian Anti-Fraud online as well, too, the center, the Canadian Anti-Fraud Center, that can give you advice and even take in the information that you've got who can try to monitor the variety of scams and things that are going on throughout the country. Excellent. We've been talking with Dave Jones, Chief Constable of the New Westminster Police Department, with some great information on financial scams and how to avoid them. You're listening to Dollars and Cents. I'm Elaine Scollin, along with Blair Manton from Sands & Associates. We'll be back with more right after this. Welcome to Dollars and Cents. I'm Elaine Scollin, along with Blair Manton from Sands & Associates. They're experts in helping you get out of debt. Now, you may or may not be one of the many, many people who fall into the trap of making only minimum payments when your credit card bill shows up in the mail. Uh, 
And then there's the group that not only do that, but then the assumptions made that you're actually making some progress on that bill. And that's why this segment is called Minimum Payment Math. Mm -hmm. So Blair, first off, um, can you explain how credit card minimum payments are even calculated? Yeah. So, you know, Elaine, you you were saying, you know, there's a number of people that, you know, fall into the trap of making minimum payments. Thankfully, it's not the majority. So about 80% of people in Canada, they pay off their balances every month on their credit card. So, you know, that's a positive thing. And credit is not necessarily an evil thing if you pay it off every single month. You know, you might get some rewards points, you know, you know, if you're, you might protect yourself with some extra extended warranties and that. But what can really happen is if you're just focused on making that minimum minimum payment, oftentimes you're not getting ahead. So, and, and to no fault of your own, right? Yeah. Because it's stated very clearly on the line, you know, this is this is what your debt is, or this is what the your credit is at this point. This is how much credit you have left, yep. and your minimum payment is this. Yeah, it's like, and this is all you need to do to be good. Perfect. Right? Yay. Right. Thank you, Mr. Bank. <laughs> not. Well, well, exactly, because the minimum payment, you know, when you look into it, how it's actually calculated, it's very much to the bank's benefit. And, you know, from your point of view, it looks attractive because if all you do is pay the minimum payment, you know, your credit rating doesn't take a hit. You're being compliant with everything that you're supposed to do every month. But let's talk about how the minimum payments are actually calculated yeah. because it does vary by different banks. Okay. Um, you know, sometimes it can even be different across a different card at, at the same bank. Oh, uh, that's interesting. Yeah. And, you know, here's a little insider tip too. Your credit history does matter even determining which cards you're offered and at what prices. So minimum payments could be different based on your credit history. Okay. But, you know, typically a minimum payment is somewhere in the range of one to two and a half percent um, of the balance on your credit card. And let's think about that for a second. One to two percent. A lot of credit cards are, you know, 20 percent a year. So one or two percent on a monthly basis, that's barely going to cover the interest in a lot of cases. Oh, and sometimes it doesn't even do that, right? I yeah. mean, we could have a minimum payment that doesn't even cover the, the interest that's charged. You could, yeah. yeah. And, you know, I looked uh, in depth at, at one of the largest Canadian banks and looked at how they calculate um, their minimum payments. And I can call it out Royal Bank because it's right on their website how they calculate their payments is it's your charges, you know, it's the fees, um, it's any other interest costs on top of it, and $10. So what you're actually contributing to bring your balance down every month is $10 if you're just paying the minimum payment. So you can imagine a debt of any size, you're not getting out from under it if you're just making the minimum payment. Even even if it, even if your debt is only $1,000, let's say, right? Yeah. I mean, it would still take a long time to pay that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So um, you've talked, we've talked before in segments about banks need and this is kind of a neat, a new thing that they need to point out the impact of making only minimal payments, or at least I think when I when I saw that question, I thought, okay, that's that little box where they mm-hmm. say if you only paid the minimum yeah. payment, then it would take you you know five thousand years to pay off <laughs> pay off this debt. Not yeah. really exaggerated, a little there. Um, so, but what what do they have to do? What does a bank have to do? Well, you hit it right on the head, Elaine. This is something that banks they weren't the ones leading the charge to do this. You know, banks weren't rushing out there saying we think people don't understand that they're paying too much in credit card interest. We want to make it easier on them. Yeah, you're richer than you think. Anyway, <laughs> yeah. um, but no, this was, you know, the Financial Consumer Agency of Canada, and this is a requirement that dates back to 2010 now. Which um, isn't but, that long ago. Yeah, and, and it's really taken a while for people to even notice because a lot of the time, even with my clients, if they feel like they're just hopelessly in debt, they even stop opening the statements. They don't look too closely at them. They just really feel like they got an issue and that's that. Yeah. Um, but the law requires that in clear language and in clear font, now it could be at different places on the statement. I've seen it, you know, buried in the footer almost. Uh, but the credit card companies have to tell you exactly how long it will take you to fully repay the balance if only the minimum payment is made each month. 
So that's the very least that the bank can do as far as I'm concerned, is, yeah. <laughs> is give you that information. Yeah. So those $10 that you're those ten dollars that you're giving them each month, it'll take you till you know twenty fifty yeah. to pay this off. Bad man. Yeah. So that, and there's almost nobody I meet with that's not just shocked when they look closely at that. You know, even a small amount of debt. You know, small is a relative term, but even a few thousand dollars, you're in the years, sometimes yeah. in the decades, to get out of it. And I know we got some examples today. We're going to look at. Yeah, let's do that. So low interest credit card. First of all, mm-hmm. uh, let's say you've got a five thousand dollar balance. Uh, you've got a, almost a twelve percent interest rate. Mm-hmm. So let's work that out. Yeah, you know, eleven point nine on a low interest card is is pretty standard, and this is a card that you'll get if you've got a really good credit rating. So not everybody's going to be able to access a low rate card, but some people will. Exactly. I've never seen eleven point nine percent interest rate on a credit card. Yeah, and it, I and I'm pretty good paying yeah. my bills pretty fast. But and, still. and you'll often find these aren't the cards that are advertised in a big way because obviously they're less profitable for for the banks. Okay. But you've got a five thousand dollar balance, which you know is a lot, but mm-hmm. in the grand scheme of things, it doesn't seem like this insurmountable mountain of debt. Right. You've got a relatively low rate interest card, um, and you're going to make the minimum payments. It's going to take you. 14 years and seven months. Let's say that again. 14 years and seven months on a low rate card to get out of $5,000 a debt. That's crazy. 14 years. A lot can happen in 14 years. Yeah. And this is the other piece. So if you're you're starting with, and that's if you don't add anything onto that balance too, right? That's just free. It's 5,000. That's what it's sticking for 14 years. So $5,000 balance, but the interest paid. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, in this case, it's almost half of the debt. It's $2,400, give or take a few dollars. Um, that's your interest cost. So when people come in to me, they say, I know I've paid this debt off multiple times over the years. I look at them and say, yeah, you probably had yeah. with a high interest rate card. So let's look at the standard credit card, mm-hmm. pretty much the one that we all have. I mean, I, like yeah. again, I don't know who gets a low interest rate credit card, but yeah. the standard one is 18.9% interest. Mm-hmm. So same amount in our balance, $5,000 balance. Yep. We have went from 14 years to almost 20 years, 19 years and nine months to get out from under a $5,000 debt, just making the minimum payments. And our interest cost in this point, in this case, actually exceeds the value of the debt. So we're going to pay $5,300 of interest on a standard credit card, doing what everyone says, you know, is important, make the minimum payments. Credit rating is going to be fine, but you've paid more than 100% of that debt over time. And it's taking you a good part of your working life to do so. Exactly. So retail store credit cards. Now, this surprises me. You're you're giving it a 29.9% interest rate. Yeah. Not that I'm doubting you, yeah. but not all retail stores have that high of an interest rate, or do they? Well, some are higher. Really? <laughs> I've, really? I've seen 34, 35. Is that right? Uh, but yeah, most store credit cards that I've seen are in, in the high 20s or so. But yeah, you might find some that are similar to a standard um, credit card, especially if it's a broader card that's accepted at other places. Oh, fair enough. Uh, but yeah, most store credit cards are in the range of the 29% mark. Wow. Okay. So yeah. we're almost at 30% interest rate, mm-hmm. 5000 thousand dollar balance how long is it going to take you to pay that off well from when you start working to when you retire it's going to take you 50 years five zero years and four months and you would have paid get this elaine you would have paid twenty three thousand dollars in interest on a five thousand dollar debt that's just crazy so if folks are listening, I, I hope you realize these, are, you know, these aren't extreme examples. This is what I see people every day. They're just carrying balances. They're making minimum payments, and they're really getting no further ahead. 
Okay, so we're all about solutions on mm-hmm. on this show, dollars and cents. What can we do or what can we consider at least when it comes to minimum payment math? Well, a couple things are, are pretty basic. So, you know, first off is really think twice about putting down the plastic. Um, you know, there's something to be said for spending cash because you feel the physical pain of, of handing over $50 or $100 or something like that. And it's done. And, and it's done. And, and the payment is made. And that's exactly. what I like about cash. Yeah. Not that I use it all the time, but that's what I like about it. It's done. Yeah. So if you're going to use a credit card for your purchases, the advice is to make sure you've got the cash socked away to pay it off at the end of the month. Okay. If you're part of the 80% of people that pay off the balances each month, then they're not making money off you. You know, you again, you may even be getting some benefits, but it's yeah. when you start to carry the balance, that's the issue. So use the card knowing that it's not a means of carrying a balance. It's, you know, essentially a charge card that you pay off every single month. Yeah. And, and and they are convenient. There's no doubt about it. I mean, credit mm-hmm. cards can get used for things that are, it's just very convenient. It makes sense. But the key is to have that money exactly. somewhere that yep. then you can pay it off. Yep. Now, this is interesting. You're suggesting that we be wary of rewards programs. Yeah. And what, why is that? Because I always thought they were a good thing. Well, and, and definitely from a marketing point of view, they're great because they got us excited about cards and air travel and different things like that. Uh, but you've really got to do the risk reward analysis because at best, the best cards out there typically are around one percent of your spend you know sometimes in a range on different categories but most of the time it's one percent of your spend if you're putting something on credit and your interest rate is 19 percent a year every month you're paying more than one percent in interest so if you're putting something on credit just to get the points but you're not going to pay it off for four or five months got it you've really put yourself further behind Okay. You know, that's part of it is, you know, don't get lured in by, by, by the points and spend sure. more than you should. But the other point too is upon redeeming for travel, there's all these costs, there's charges. A lot of times people will overextend themselves saying it's a free flight, but it still costs me $400. Well, that's the thing. Yeah. You really have to pay attention, especially with air travel. Yeah. The, the tax is just crazy. Yeah. I, I mean, we use uh, the air miles or the air points, mm-hmm. depending on what airline. And then you got to pay the tax. Yeah. Like you might get the flight, but it's the tax could be six, seven, eight hundred dollars. Exactly. Depending yeah. on the destination, it can be almost as much as a standard ticket would be, which is just shocking. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. it is. It yeah. totally is. Uh, cash advances. I've often been tempted to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, just say no. But yeah, <laughs> I do, I don't do it because yeah. I'm just afraid to. <laughs> that's probably the worst deal that's out there in terms of ac- access to credit. Um, so cash advances, the minute you take that money out, they start to hit you with interest. And the whole point of a credit card is that you make the purchase and you get some interest-free grace period that when you get the bill in, you normally get 21 days to pay. And if you pay it off, you don't pay any interest. As soon as you take money out of a machine for a cash advance, they're hitting you with interest. And usually it's their highest interest at that point. Um, Sometimes there's even a special interest on cash advances that's a little bit higher than your standard rate. So on the 11.9% card, there's probably a higher cash advance interest if you started using it for cash advances. Got it. Okay. So you really have to read the fine print Mm -hmm. to know what the cash advance interest rate is on a card. Yeah. And one that got me when I, I was, you know, relatively new in, in, in my career. And I thought, oh, gee, I can just, you know, get some cash here. It's relatively cheap on a low card, but there's often a transaction cost. Yes. Sometimes it's one to 3% of the total amount that you're taking out. So you can imagine you're going to pay interest right away. You're going to pay a transaction cost of one to 3%. Um, there better be a really good reason why you immediately need that money because it's very expensive. Yeah. Depending on where you're going, especially if you're traveling, I've learned that lesson yeah. or we've learned that lesson that I think, oh, well, that should be easy. If we need cash, because sometimes that's the only thing that is uh, available. Or if you need to make a transaction or pay for something, you need cash. Well, let's just take it out on the card. And I get this look like, are you kidding me? (laughs) Do you know what that means? The other thing is that this surprised me that the interest is charged from the day you take the money. Yeah. Yeah. That's 
really. No grace period. No grace period at mm-hmm. all. And and then the special interest rates. Have we sort of covered that already, or is there more that we need to pay attention with well, the special interest rates? Yeah, I think just be careful. If you start to miss payments or go over your limit, uh, your interest rate can increase very significantly. Okay. It's so important, you know, to read the fine print, take a look at what you've got, take a look at what you've already signed up for. Um, and if you're, if you are in a bind or if you know that you're in trouble, you have an exceeding, you know, your debt is growing, uh, the best place to go, the best guy to talk to, uh, go see Blair at uh, Sands and Associates, any of his staff. They have wonderful, wonderful people, nice and easy to do. Check out their website, lots of good information there, sands trustee.com, or nice and easy as well as calling them at 1 800 661 3030 to get that free consultation and to find an office near you. We'll be back with more right after this. Welcome to Dollars and Cents. I'm Elaine Scollin along with Blair Manton from Sands and Associates. They're experts in helping you get out of debt. On the line with us is Kate Flanders, who's a former binge consumer turned mindful consumer of everything. Uh, Through a lot of personal stories, she wrote about what happens when money, minimalism, and mindfulness all cross paths. Uh, She has her blog, www.kateflanders.com, and Kate is spelt with C-A-I-T. And in 2018, wrote a book called The Year of Less, which we can't help uh, but recommend you pick up. It's a terrific book. Blair's read uh, read it and just found it so valuable. Mm-hmm. But one of the what we're going to talk about in this segment is um, Kate's experience. First of all, thank you for joining us, Kate. Oh, of course. Thank you for having me. Uh, it, and what we're going to talk about is your experience in paying off a pretty significant debt uh, over a two-year period. And man, you were young. You were only 25. I was when I started it, yeah. Wow, $30,000 at 25 years old. And my bet is, while that sounds like a crazy number in my little head, um, I know it's not an unusual number for people. Yeah, for the, the clients that I see, Elaine, you know, that's below the average. You know, the average is forty to $60,000 a debt. Even the average Canadian consumer is about $25,000 in, in debt. So, you know, this is definitely not outside the realm of the average here. And for someone who's only 25, mm-hmm. when you look at educational debt or college, you know, university and all that stuff, yep. the kind of debt that, that young people walk away with, even though they've got a degree, they have this huge yeah. piece. Yeah, and what I what I love too, and, and thanks a lot for joining us, Kate. But you did this, you know, essentially publicly. You had a budget, sorry, you had a, a a blog called Blonde on a Budget. I wonder if you can tell me a little bit about that and why you originally started the blog. Yeah. Oh my gosh, Blonde on a Budget days. Going back, right? <laughs> yeah. No, it was great. I mean, that so just shows I was twenty five. <laughs> but um, yeah, I you know when I was twenty five, I got to this point where I realized I was nearly maxed out with $30,000. And the unfortunate part is that actually there was like almost no student debt in that. It was basically all consumer debt except Mm -hmm. for about $4,500 that was for school. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I remember starting the blog, really thinking of it um, sort of like the same way some people, you know, you would track maybe your calories or your workouts if you're trying to lose weight. Mm -hmm. Like I started the blog, I was writing anonymously because I didn't want anyone to find it. Um, And all I would do was every Sunday, I would post a weekly spending report that literally said things like, on Monday, 
I spent $2.91 at Starbucks. <laughs> and on Tuesday, I spent $2.91 at Starbucks. <laughs> and then maybe something on groceries. Um, and I would just track my spending so that I knew how much I spent and where it went. I also tracked um, payday, so like any income that came in, and um, and then any amounts that I put towards my debt. And then I was on the side just kind of tracking like where I was in my debt repayment journey. That was all it was. It was just showing off the numbers. So was there a, like a, a moment where all of this came that you decided, I, I'm going to do this. There must be something for me to learn by doing this. Or was there a seminal moment that just arrived for you? Or how did you get to that point that to even start writing that? Because that's a very difficult thing to do for folks is write down everything that they're spending money on. It was. I mean, I think that I really, like the day I realized I was maxed out was one of the worst days I can remember just in how much shame I felt, mm-hmm. how, um, and not just like for things I'd, I'd sort of, I don't know, I thought I'd like ruined all my chances of having a strong financial future. I also had a lot of shame because I'm the oldest sibling by like eight and 10 years. And I really felt like I was supposed to be a role model for my brother and sister. There was a day when I asked my, I don't know, like 17-year-old sister at the time for $70 because I had to make a payment on something. And I was just like, that is not okay. How did I just ask my 17-year-old sister for money? Wow. Um, and, and so I just, you know, I, I tormented myself almost during those two years that I was paying off the debt. But really, like, the reason I started writing about it was because I guess for me, I just felt like there wasn't an option. Like I just had to take it seriously. Like being maxed out means there is no more credit. I mean, I I probably could have called and asked for a higher limit or something, but for me, it was my my final moment. Like this is it. I have to start taking care of it. Excellent. And what was the feeling like of having that that amount of debt? So you, you use the word shame. Uh, obviously, you know a lot of my clients. You know they they say they felt guilty. They felt ashamed. They were sad. They didn't have something to, to show for it. Were you experiencing those those types of you know in your day to day? I imagine it would have impacted your moods. It it it's funny. It affected a lot of things. So number one, like let's even remember that I started writing anonymously. I didn't want mm. anyone to know. Right. I didn't want my family to find it more than anyone. I didn't want friends to know. And not like I kind of think, right now I look back and think it's funny, like what I think my friends are just Googling me or something. Like, <laughs> how, how would they have even found it? <laughs> right. Yeah. But I, I just really wanted to avoid that. So I was writing anonymously. Um, I used to cry myself to sleep at night for like the first month that mm-hmm. I realized I was in that kind of a situation. Um, it, it felt awful. I also like was, I would... I would start to lie to friends about like why I couldn't hang out anymore. Hmm. And that doesn't feel good either. Right. Like it didn't feel good that I, I couldn't tell anyone it eventually within a couple months, like once I had paid off the first few thousand dollars, I told my best friend finally, and just said, this is the situation, but she's the only person who knew for probably over a year. Um, hmm. And it, it took a long time. Like I had to make kind of significant process or progress in paying it off before I felt comfortable telling other people. That's such good information, you know, Kate, because uh, the kinds of things that you've described, I know that Blair hears from people, his clients, they say similar things or have the similar feelings and and that idea that they, they want to do it anonymously. They don't want anybody mm-hmm. to know. Yep. All those things. That's such, so good that you're sharing this. But can we talk a, a little bit about um, what are the key things that you learned during your quest to be debt-free and how did you do it? Well, I would say... Not that I would ever say I regret doing this because I don't think I, obviously I wouldn't regret paying off my debt. I 
looking back, I do sort of wish I had um, been a little bit kinder to myself hmm. because I was pretty hard on myself for all two years. Like how much of your um, income were you putting towards debt? Every, every month was a little bit different, um, but I had a few months where it was like up to 55%. Wow. <laughs> That's and pretty massive. It was huge. and But then the problem in that too is that I also wasn't really saving and I wasn't really investing anything. And so I was just so obsessed with getting down to zero that I had kind of no balance in my life. I wasn't really giving myself any kind of, I'll call it fun money, but literally like that means like just go to a restaurant once in a while or something. Like I just wasn't really letting myself have a life. I was just focused on getting down to zero. And then it's just interesting. It's like not that surprising to me sort of that I kind of went right back to spending because I didn't have any goals or real thoughts about what I wanted next. And so now I would always say like to other people, I'm like, I would just find some kind of balance. It doesn't mean you have to be like, making your debt repayment last way longer. But if I had even said I could pay it off in three years, that still would have been great, right? Like it still would have been great and I would have gotten the end result and I could have maybe then finished with either some savings or a bit more in retirement or just something. And I just, I don't know, I just think that it was my approach and then how hard on myself I was the whole time that um, I would have just changed a few things, I think, looking back. But you can't change. You can't right. do that. So. But our next question was going to be, and we just have about a minute left with you, uh, were words of advice. So you talked about uh, be a little kinder to yourself. Great advice for mm-hmm. anybody. Uh, a little more balance. And when you said 55% you were paying off, uh, that's the amount you were taking out of your what you were bringing in to pay off your debt. That seems like an awful lot of money or a big oh, yeah. percentage, right? That's an order of magnitude higher than most people, yeah. So there yeah. goes the balance. So yeah. an idea of be kindness, a little more balance. Uh, have you got an, one more before we before we wrap up, Kate? Well, I think it's it, to go along with debt or just you know spending in general, I think something that's helped me since day one, truly and still to this day, is tracking my spending and asking if I'm happy with where the money is going. Hmm. And that can help with paying off debt. It can help you reach different financial goals, like if you're trying to save for something. So I always kind of go back to that. Like all these changes I've made, they seem big, but it has always come back to that. It's come back to tracking and asking myself how I felt about the numbers. Wow, great advice. We're talking with Kate Flanders, uh, author of a book called The Year of Less. It's a self-help memoir documenting her life for the first 12 months of a two-year shopping ban. Uh, It's easy to get. You can get the book easily. Kate lives in Squamish, British Columbia with her three loves. And I just love this line, the mountains, the forest, and the ocean. Kate, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. You're listening to Dollars and Cents. The proceeding was a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW. Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance (laughs) recital. (laughs) And Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone, like Andy's kid. For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.